So, um, why don't you tell me what you're wearing in as much detail as possible? Well, I'm wearing a, a hoodie, jeans, the podcaster's uniform, really. But never mind. I'm your Nerdcast host, Scott Bland. And that was Politico reporter Holly Otterbein, and she was not talking to me. About a week ago, I had this crazy idea. Holly was talking to a Bernie Sanders caucus-goer, Stephen Daly. What if I just dressed... Cosplaying as a... As peak Bernie bro. Peak Bernie bro. And just hung out on the strip with a sign for uh, Bernie Sanders to see what would happen. And that was a good thing to be in Nevada this weekend because Sanders put in a very strong showing as he won the state's Democratic caucuses. I think someone uh, earlier this week said I was like the Bernie spirit animal. (laughs) Stephen caught my eye because he was decked out basically head to toe in Bernie Sanders gear. Obviously, comfortable shoes, slip-ons, you know, cargo shorts because, you know, you got to have the gear. So he had kind of a cowboy hat slash fedora that was wrapped with a Bernie sticker, heavy-duty Bernie stickers on his shirt. Actually, picked up these letters at a hardware store. They're the ones that go on your mailbox. That spelled Bernie Bro for Life. Bernie Bro for Life. And then every campaign button or sticker that I could steal or buy. And his jacket was covered with buttons, stickers, pins. It really completes the ensemble. <laughs> it's, uh, it's very striking. Stephen is a little bit of a provocateur. He stood in the middle of the Las Vegas Strip in his getup, talking to people. The best reaction is the senior citizens, you know, they're too polite to actually say anything. But they take a look and it's just like they're smelling a pile of garbage. I I just offended them so much that all they do is they just quickly, they just look away, walk faster. I mean, that that is the best reaction. I live for that. But his fundamental issues are like a lot of people who support Bernie. So tell me why you support Bernie. I mean, my top three issues, Medicare for all, college for all and no more wars. He's also a veteran. 11 years active duty, I'm a Navy reservist. I'm gonna deploy soon. Can't tell you where or when, but um, I would love not to be in a war with North Korea, ever. I would love not to be in a war with Iran, ever. And it just feels like with the current administration, from day to day, you never know what's going on. And one of the reasons I wanted to talk to him, in addition to his colorful ensemble, of course, was that I witnessed a pretty weird incident earlier in the caucus. A Joe Biden supporter pretty aggressively came up to Stephen. I, I don't even remember what the what the comment was. It's like, oh, have you learned to speak Russian yet? So, I mean, we're, we're really going all in on the Bernie's a Russian bot narrative. And his Russia comment underscores the recent controversy with Bernie about Russia allegedly trying to help Bernie win. But it also captures how members of the D.C. establishment, of which Joe Biden is a card-carrying member, feel increasingly threatened by Bernie's success in these first three states. And that's exactly what we're getting into today. Bernie Sanders has run away with the Nevada caucuses. He's won. We don't have the final results yet. But to the extent there's any drama uh, left in in Nevada right now, it's in the race for for second place far behind. And we are going to talk about that with Holly Otterbein. So, Holly, thanks for joining us today. Hey, it's a pleasure. All right, so where are you recording from right now? I am recording from outside a caucus site in Las Vegas uh, at a high school that just wrapped up. Nice. All right, so we are picking apart three main points about the Nevada caucuses today, kind of what we learned, what we saw. Number one, the thing that really sticks out to me, this is the first really dominant showing of the 2020 Democratic primary season after close races in Iowa and New Hampshire and Sanders really showcased the breadth of the coalition he has mustered in Nevada. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, In Iowa and New Hampshire, we saw him perform best with exactly what you would think is Bernie Sanders' base, which is young people, people who consider themselves liberal, and working class people. Here in Nevada, we're seeing it grow. According to uh, entrance polls, he is winning among people age 17 to 29, 30 to 44, 45 to 65, men and women, whites and Latinos, those with college degrees and without, liberal Democrats, moderate conservative Democrats more narrowly, and union and non-union households. So this is a, a much different you know, victory for him than he saw in New Hampshire. And the, the Latino numbers really jumped out at me in the entrance polls. This was a, uh, a constituency of, of weakness for him in 2016 when he was running against Hillary Clinton. Now it's a source of strength. Yeah, Sanders after 2016, you know, his team decided he really needed to do better with voters of color. He had shown some strength with younger voters of color. He actually won amongst them. And and in certain areas, there was some indication that he could grow with Latinos. And so his team really latched on to that. And they decided that Latinos were key to his victory, to his nomination, you know, in order to win Nevada, California, Texas, that was how they were going to do it. They put a lot of effort into it. They put a lot of um, money into reaching out to Latinos really early. And people here in Nevada, some Latino voters said that, you know, part of the reason they were voting for Sanders was because he was simply the one that they would heard from the most, his campaign. And so this was just a, it's a major part of their strategy. In Iowa, New Hampshire, there were, again, indications that he was strong among Latinos. Um, he won the predominantly Latino caucus sites in Iowa um, and won Latinos in New Hampshire. But this is just something that's much, you know, much more um, significant that he's done here. It shows that he is has broadened his base to people of color. And that obviously has ramifications going forward for places like California, potentially even South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Texas, too. So the second thing that really stuck out to me after these results is that they're not totally surprising, right? We knew that Sanders going in was a favorite. We knew that going into the debate earlier this week. And yet we didn't really see Bernie Sanders get any more attention than he normally would have or did throughout the course of this primary season and the many, many debates we've seen. And, you know, we've still got these ton of candidates clustered together, getting double digits, kind of carving up other pieces of the party every which way. And they really seem more focused on that fight than on the fact that Sanders has established an advantage. Yeah, absolutely. In New Hampshire, we saw this happen. At the debate, also in advertising, the moderates were beating up on each other. You know, Klobuchar had this great night where she really, she took on Pete Buttigieg. Biden aired an, a digital ad uh, taking on Pete. Um, Steyer aired an ad taking on Pete and Biden. So all of the candidates that were, you know, moderates were basically having a knife fight. And at the same time, there was no negative advertising up in New Hampshire against Sanders, which was different than Iowa, where you did see that. And then he you know, won New Hampshire. Now, this last debate right before Nevada, it was a very similar situation where all the candidates basically ganged up on Bloomberg, particularly Elizabeth Warren, of course, which was interesting because... 
Warren is competing with Sanders to be the progressive standard bearer of the of the race. Um, but she chose to, you know, train her fire onto him. Now, part of the reason that that's happening is because Bloomberg is rising, right? The other candidates need to, like, tamp him down. Warren obviously saw a great foil in him for all of her, you know, populist um, rhetoric. And, you know, candidates like Biden, Buttigieg needed to knock down Bloomberg because he's competing with them for ideological moderates and, you know, electability focused voters as well. And so there was basically, again, this knife fight among the non-Sanders candidates. Um, I will say one person who did try to take on Bloomberg and Sanders at the same time, probably the most effectively was Buttigieg. Um, You know, he he tried to do it at least. Um, So that was interesting. But, you know, what's going to happen now is I would be shocked if the candidates on Tuesday did not you know, train all of their attention on to Sanders. And we've seen already the candidates telegraphing this. Um, you know, Bloomberg, of course, has been going after Sanders for some time. And then you have Warren, who's been taking on Sanders more aggressively recently, criticizing things like uh, his position on the filibuster, um, arguing that she's more effective than him. Buttigieg is airing a negative ad against him over Medicare for all in South Carolina. So I think that is where the race is headed. Um, While, you know, I think the candidates did not take on Sanders, not only these last few weeks, but really months as it was clear that he was starting to, you know, build up steam. Um, I I would be surprised if that didn't end today. Yeah. So, Holly, a lot of this... uh kind of got into the the third thing I was thinking about for us to discuss, and that's, you know, what does this all mean going forward? And I think the the strategic element that you just explained makes a lot of sense. It's really clear. What about just in terms of the states that are coming up next? We've got South Carolina coming up. It's going to be the, the first majority black electorate of the Democratic primary. Just a few days after that, we've got Super Tuesday, 14 states, a lot of which couldn't be more different from each other. You know, you've got California and Texas, the biggest delegate prizes. You've got some states in the Deep South. You've got Minnesota. You've got Massachusetts. I'm not going to list them all right here, even though I just did a fair number. But <laughs> how does this set up things as the campaign goes into South Carolina? You know, Sanders uh, potentially going to try and make a run there at, at, at uh, Biden, who's called South Carolina's firewall for a long time. And then, you know, and then vault into the Super Tuesday states, I guess. Yeah. So this is an incredibly important race for um, Joe Biden in South Carolina and also for Sanders now. Um, You know, they're going to be competing. There was a poll that just came out that effectively showed them tied in South Carolina, which is just a massive change from earlier in the race when when Biden was completely dominating the state. Now Sanders is coming off of a victory in a diverse state and so, you know, it's you can never predict what kind of bounce a candidate will get because, you know, that all depends on a lot of things, including spin and media coverage and all that. But, um, you know, he is poised to, it looks like, have momentum going into South Carolina. Um, if he pulled off a victory there, I mean, that would be major, obviously. And then after that, we have Super Tuesday, which is just, I mean, these things, they're all very close. These are like a matter of days. And on Super Tuesday, you know, again, Sanders has put a lot of effort into California. A lot of money, too. 
ton of money and it's a, and it's a state where, you know, the results today um, could signify what may happen there. It's, all, it's also a state with a large Latino population, liberal, you know, these sorts of strengths. Um, they play to standard strengths. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I think the with Super Tuesday coming up so fast and, and what you brought up in terms of bounces and momentum and Obviously, Sanders has raised a ton of money during this primary, and that gets a lot of attention. I feel like there's been less attention on the fact that he's not just raising the money to show that he has all these supporters that he can raise 20 bucks at a time from, right? He he spends it, and he's really the only non-billionaire candidate running uh, with, with the resources to run a national campaign touching all these Super Tuesday states right now, and that's only going to improve as he continues to to rake in money off these big nights that he's having, including this one. That's exactly right. Um, financial records were released this week, and it showed that Sanders had the you know the most um, cash on hand of the non-billionaire candidates. Um, and you know, he is gonna definitely raise a ton of money today. Um, and, you know, actually it's interesting after Iowa, you know, they were expecting to be able to raise a ton of money then, um, and that didn't happen because the results were delayed partly. Um, but you know, I think he's gonna, yeah, obviously raise millions of dollars today. I think it's safe to say. All right. Holly, thank you so much for taking the time out of, of running around Nevada, following all this to speak to us about it. We'll, we'll let you go now. It was a pleasure. Thank you. All right. That'll do it for this episode. We'll be back with you on Tuesday with another Nerdcast Debate Night special. But for now, thanks for listening. Our producer is Annie Reese. Our senior producer is Jenny Ahmed. And our executive producer is Irene Noguchi. We'll talk to you again next week.